0: wlcc brandon
1: faith talk tampa online at letstalkfaith.com or
0: listen on tune in and odyssey the following is sponsored by verse by verse ministries and is pre-recorded
1: you see you and i are just like the colossians we struggle with sin We struggle with with anger. We struggle with bad feelings. We struggle with hostility. We struggle with malice. We struggle with with evil speech. And and just like them, we have complaints against one another. We don't always get along with one another. In fact, verse 13 speaks about bearing with one another, forgiving one another, whoever has a complaint against anyone, which obviously Paul would only say that because they had complaints against one another. And, And we do. We struggle with people. There are people in this congregation who bother you. There are people who irritate you. And uh, so this is very relevant. And we all need help in getting along with one another.
0: Welcome to Verse by Verse. Pastor Steve Kreloff just said it. We all struggle with sins of the tongue and of the heart. At least I like to think we all do. Sometimes I wonder if certain people relish in them rather than struggling against them. It is hard when people just rub us the wrong way, when they seem to actually enjoy pushing all our buttons, when they let us down and betray us. It's hard to be kind to them. Peter asked Jesus, how many times should he forgive someone? And Jesus said, in essence, as many times as it takes. But how do we do that? We'll consider that question over the next three classes as we continue learning from Colossians chapter 3. Pastor Steve is the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. These radio programs come from that long-time teaching ministry. Here in Colossians chapter 3, Peter likened our attitudes to clothing that we can wear or that we can change out of and into. In previous classes, we looked at the list of attitudes and behaviors that Paul said we should take off and set aside. As we are about to see, Paul does not leave us stranded with no clothes. He tells us what we ought to put on to replace the old clothes. But before we consider the specific virtues Paul told us to wear, let's spend some time finding out why we should put them on. Paul gave us two reasons to live lives of virtue. Here's Pastor Steve to tell us about them.
1: I begin this morning by asking a a question. Does the clothing that you wear have anything to do with how you act, or did the clothing that Michael Jordan wore, that jersey, have anything to do with his performance? Because there's a popular proverb that states clothes make the man. Clothes make the man. But you know, that that is not really correct. That is not really true. Clothes don't make you anything, but they certainly can reveal a great deal about you. Clothes don't make you, but they can reveal what you're made of and what's inside. Uh, For example, the clothing that you wear can reveal the kind of work that you do if you're in a type of profession that a uniform is required uh your clothing would reveal the kind of work that you do if you're a policeman a fireman uh if you're a professional athlete you certainly dress the part a mailman things things of that nature clothing also can reveal something about your character not always but but uh it can uh, for example in modest clothing on a woman speaks of moral looseness uh Clothing can reveal something of character. Clothing can also reveal uh, certain activities that you are engaged in or about to be engaged in. Uh, Joggers uh, dress a certain way. Uh, Bathing suits are for swimming. A bridal gown is for a wedding. So uh, our clothes reveal some important facts about us, our work, our character at times, and and activities. Now, in the same way, God's word teaches that we should put on specific clothing in the form of certain virtues. And I'd like you to turn your Bibles to Colossians chapter three, because we've been looking in Colossians three for a few weeks and we have been seeing in the imagery of taking off clothes and putting it on putting certain clothing on paul is speaking about taking off certain vices and putting on certain virtues and we've come now to the part in which he says what we are to put on colossians chapter 3 and i'd like to read verses 12 through 14 and so as those who have been chosen of god holy and beloved put on a heart of compassion kindness humility gentleness and patience Bearing with one another and forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. And beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Now, this is heaven's wardrobe for those of us who know Christ. And while we're on earth, this is heaven's wardrobe because we have become new creatures in Christ, we need to lay aside old vices, the old vices of anger and hostility and evil speech, which Paul spoke of in this chapter, verse eight, and replace them with Christ-like virtues. And I said, so I've said before, Paul is using the imagery of changing our clothes. He lists certain things we take off, now he lists certain things that we put on. And these virtues indicate that our hearts have been changed by Christ. These virtues are the new behavior patterns which, which come from a new nature. We've been changed on the inside, and we ought to behave a certain way on the outside. These are the new clothes that we wear on the outside because our hearts have been transformed on the inside. And so we are matching our practice with who we really are. That's, that's what this is about. As someone once said, this is heaven's wardrobe from the hands of the ultimate tailor. And that's absolutely true. To put on these virtues is to behave in a way and to wear the clothing of virtue that Jesus Christ wore. Every one of these virtues speaks of his behavior. This is how he was. This is how he is. These were the virtues worn by him. Now, the big picture of Colossians 3 is this. And I don't want us to see the the trees and and you miss the forest. I want you to see the big picture. It's to tell us how to have victory over our sin. Because we have an ongoing battle and struggle with sin. And we, we we struggle with that. It's just an ongoing battle. As Paul closed chapter two, he was very clear to say that you Colossians are not to believe what the false teachers are telling you. You do not get victory over your sin by legalism, nor mysticism, nor asceticism. And that's what they were saying. If you really want change in your life, you really want victory. Uh, follow those isms. And Paul is saying, no, that's not true. You do have victory. You can have victory as you move into chapter three and you see it's by correct thinking. He says in chapter three, verse two, set your mind on the things above and not on the things that are on this earth. You need to have a, a correct Thinking uh, which leads to correct understanding and correct living, understand he 's saying that you have died, your old nature died with Christ when you accepted him, you really became a new creature. you did not reform the uh, the, the nature, you changed natures you are different on the inside, you have become as Paul put it in in Corinthians, you have become new creatures in Christ, and therefore your behavior ought to match who you really are. In other words, we are to walk in newness of life. We don't simply have newness of life. We are now to walk and behave on a, in a daily uh, way with this newness of life. Now, you see, you and I are just like the Colossians. We struggle with sin. We struggle with, with anger. We struggle with bad feelings. We struggle with hostility. We struggle with malice. We struggle with, with evil speech. And, and, and just like them, we have complaints against one another. We don't always get along with one another. In fact, verse 13 speaks about bearing with one another, forgiving one another, whoever has a complaint against anyone, which obviously Paul would only say that because they had complaints against one another. And we do. We struggle with people. There are people in this congregation who bother you. There are people who irritate you. And so this is very relevant. And we all need help in getting along with One another. Now, there's an important principle before we get into the text that I want you to see. This is very, very important, and I think most people miss this. It is important to realize that as Christians, it is not enough to not be angry and hostile. I'm not even sure if that's uh, correct English, but you get the point. You shouldn't usually have two negatives in a sentence. But it is not enough to not be angry and hostile. We haven't acted like the new man until we replace negative vices with positive virtue. We are replacing something. We are not simply saying, don't do this. We are saying, don't do this and do this. In other words, the battle for holiness isn't won because I don't blow my temper. Even a Pharisee could restrain himself and not blow his temper. It isn't one because I don't blow my temper. It's one when I not only don't blow my temper, but I now act with kindness and compassion. I do something positive. That that's the point. And I think this is very relevant. I I remember uh uh speaking to somebody sometime back who tried to tell me that everything was wonderful in his spiritual life. Everything was fine. And the reason he said everything was fine is and he rehearsed a whole bunch of things that he didn't do anymore. He didn't do this, he didn't do that, he didn't do this, and so he was fine. And my response was, but what do you do? You see, anyone could say, I don't do this, I don't do this, I don't do this, but the Christian life is not what I just what I don't do. What do you do positively? Even a moral individual can restrain from not doing certain things. But the Christian life is that not only don't I do this, but I act a certain way that is Christ-like. I think that's important for us to understand. That's what Paul is addressing in Colossians 3, verses 12 through 14. Not simply don't do this, but do do this. How to dress with the virtues of Jesus. And in this passage, in these verses, he basically gives us two main truths about getting dressed with Christ-like virtue. Truth number one is why put on virtue? Why do this? What's our motivation behind this? And number two is, what virtues are we to put on? It's very simple outline. So let's begin by looking at the question, what uh, or why put on virtue? Beginning at verse 12, Paul says, And so, as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved. Let, let's stop there. Paul begins this section of Scripture just a little bit differently. Then what we might expect him to do, he doesn't start off by telling us what virtues to put on. That's unusual. It's a little different. Paul usually says what to do and then why you do it. But here he starts off by telling us why we should put these virtues on before even telling us what virtues to put on. In other words, he wants them to have and wants us to have the proper motivation for Christlike behavior. It's extremely important that we have the right motivation because some people will read this stuff and think that they just have to reform themselves. And they think that uh, they just passed some New Year's resolutions and they'll do this to feel good about themselves and they'll act a certain way because it, 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 it might get a job promotion, it might help people to like them better. See, all of that is motivated by self-interest and that's not right at all. So it's important that you understand that virtue and godly behavior must be put on not for advancing you, but for advancing Christ's name. And that's why Paul tells the Colossians that the reason for putting on godly virtue stems from who they are, how they've been changed, what they are in God's sight. He describes them with, by three terms. Number one, he says in verse 12, and so as those who have been chosen by God, chosen by God, I hope you realize that if you are a Christian, you are a Christian because God chose you. That goes against human pride. To think that you had nothing to do, really, in coming to Christ. You say, but, but I called upon the Lord. But who worked in your heart to bring you to that point? Yeah, but I wanted to make that choice. No, you, you only thought that it stems from you. And we can't fully grasp human responsibility with divine sovereignty, but we understand that that the Bible teaches that by human nature we are hostile towards God. Nobody ever came into this world loving God. No child has ever loved God apart from regeneration. No adult has ever loved God apart from regeneration. How? Oh, but but I do love God. Well, you may love a God that you've created in your mind, a God who has no wrath, a God who doesn't send anybody to hell, but... The God of the Bible, everybody hates until God changes our hearts at salvation. And the reason he does that is because we are chosen by God. I don't know how you can read the New Testament and the Old Testament, for that matter, because Israel was chosen. But I don't know how we can read the Bible and come away with anything other than concluding that we have been chosen not because of who we are, but in God's sovereign, uh, divine plan, we are chosen. For example, Ephesians. I'll just run through these verses and uh, and and uh, have you hear them. Ephesians one verse four, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. Says in love he predestined us. First Thessalonians chapter one, verse four. Knowing brethren beloved by God, his choice of you. Second Thessalonians chapter two, verse 13. But we should always give thanks to God for you, brethren beloved by the Lord, because God has chosen you from the beginning for salvation. It says in Acts chapter 13, verse 48, that the Gentiles were thrilled because uh, they realized that they had been ordained to eternal life. All who re- rejoice have been ordained to eternal life. Romans chapter 11 verses 5 and 6 speaks about a remnant. Romans 11 verses 5 and 6. In the same way, then there is also come to be at the present time a remnant according to God's gracious choice. But if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. He's not simply speaking about salvation, which is by grace. He's speaking about God's sovereign choosing of us, which is by his grace. Now, I don't understand that. But if words in language, if language means anything, then you cannot distort this to mean anything other than God has sovereignly chosen us. He has sovereignly chosen us. We, want, we are the chosen of God if you know Christ. No one comes to Christ apart from God's choosing. Secondly, Paul describes us as holy. The word holy means to be set apart sanctified, set apart. God chose us in order to set us apart from the world to be uniquely His. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20 say that you are uh, bought with a price. You, you are not your own. You belong to Christ. The Spirit of God indwells us and He has purchased you. You have been chosen to be set apart. Just as a bride and a groom are set apart for each other by a wedding ceremony, so... We have been set apart at salvation to belong exclusively to Jesus Christ. We are the holy ones set apart. Thirdly, he calls us beloved. That is to say, to be beloved simply means to be the object of God's special love and affection. God loves the world, but there is a special place in his heart for those who are his own. Now, why is Paul telling us about election and holiness and being loved? What what does that have to do with, with virtue? You want to put this together in context. Paul is reminding us that we aren't just anybody. He's not telling us just to put on this virtue because he's telling us to do it. He's telling us in light of who you are, you need to behave a certain way. God has chosen you and you are set apart and you are loved by him and you are his representatives in the world. You have been chosen to be his unique people in this day and age. Now act like his unique people. You are his representatives. You are to be different. He has chosen you to be different. In John chapter 15, verses 18 and 19, Jesus said, the reason the world hates you is because I've chosen you out of the world and you're different now. That's, that's the point. That's the point. We are God's special people and we are to behave like that. He chose us to be different from the world. And how do I know this is the right interpretation? I'll tell you. Because the words chosen, holy, beloved were all words used in the Old Testament to describe Israel. Now, you understand that Israel was God's holy and chosen and beloved people. In fact, they are still his beloved people. In this day and age, which we call the age of grace, the church age, they have temporarily, and I stress the word temporarily, been set aside until the church is raptured, and then the tribulation begins, and then God will once again turn his program to Israel. So they have not been uh, placed aside permanently. God still has a wonderful plan and future for Israel. But God chose Israel and set his love upon her and set her apart from the Gentile nations in order to live differently. That's the basic message of the Old Testament. Israel had to learn that they were uniquely his people. They were to be a light to the Gentiles, and while in this day and age we are, we function as God's special people, the church, we are to be just like that. We are, we are in that sense like Israel, we have been chosen and set apart and beloved in order to be different, to be a light to the world. In God's economy, that's the way we operate today. So the point of this, and by the way, before I move on, let me show you 1 Peter chapter 2 verses 9 through 12, which, which say this very thing. Now, I don't think that, that the church is Israel. Israel is distinct from the church. I'm only saying that in this day and age, we are the people of God. And in the future, once we are in glory, God will once again turn his attention to Israel. But in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, Peter says, But you are a chosen race, notice that language, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That's Old Testament language referred to the church. For you were once were not a, pe- for you once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against the soul, keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles, so that in the things in which they slander you as evildoers, they may on account of your good deeds as they observe them glorify God on the day of visitation. That's Old Testament language saying that you are the people of God. And as the elect, chosen and, and holy ones, beloved in God's sight, how are you to behave? You are to behave differently. You are to be distinct. The motivation for godly behavior stems from who you are. And you need to remember that. We are to be different from the world. That's why we have been chosen. Now, what is the manner of behavior? How exactly are we to behave? Well, that's what the text before us is about as we go back to Colossians 3. We move from why put on virtue because of who you are. Now, what virtue do we put on? We continue, verse 12. Put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. And beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity.
0: There is a Native American legend that tells about an eagle that grew up among the prairie chickens. A young brave had found the eagle's egg on the ground and slipped it into a prairie chicken nest. The eaglet hatched right along with the rest of the chicks and grew up among them never realizing it was a different kind of bird. It scratched in the dirt for seeds and insects to eat. It clucked and cackled. And it flew in a brief thrashing of wings and flurry of feathers no more than a few feet off the ground. After all, that's how prairie chickens were supposed to fly. The years passed and the eagle grew old. One day it happened to look up at just the right time and it saw a magnificent bird high in the cloudless sky soaring with almost no effort on its massive wings. That's a beautiful bird, the old eagle said to the prairie chicken standing nearby. What is it? It's an eagle, replied the prairie chicken. Don't waste your time looking at it. You could never be like that. And so the old eagle didn't give it a second thought and eventually died never knowing the greatness it could have achieved. You've been listening to Verse by Verse, a radio Bible class of the air, taught by Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. These radio adaptations of Pastor Steve's message are produced by Verse by Verse Ministries. We're on the web at versebyverseradio.org. At the website, you can listen again to today's class, You can also navigate to the archives page and find hundreds of previous classes. They are available for listening online, or you can download them and listen later. Or maybe even share them with a friend. To make sure you never miss a class, sign up for our free podcasting service. The web address again is versebyverseradio.org. As I mentioned, these daily classes are adapted from Pastor Steve's sermons. It is impossible to fit an entire sermon into a 25-minute radio time slot, so like many broadcasters, we break the sermon into smaller parts. If you'd like to hear the entire message from which today's class was taken, you can do so by ordering a CD or cassette. Our number is 727-239-0306. If you get the answering machine, leave your name and a daytime phone number. We will return your call during regular business hours. The number, if you missed it, is 727-239-0306. The story of the underachieving eagle is not all that different from the story of many of the lives of Christians who continue with the old patterns of thought that Paul says we should put aside. When we trust Christ as Savior, God gives us a whole new standard of behavior and thought. If we live our lives emulating the unsaved people around us, we will rob ourselves of far greater blessings than what that eagle missed out on. On the next Verse by Verse, Pastor Steve will explain some of the virtues that the Apostle Paul said we are to take on. We often read and hear some pretty harsh statements from various people about the liberal notions and lax moral standards around us. I hope you'll be able to be here for the next